0: you can turn in your bibles congregation to Hebrews chapter 12 we are nearing the end of our exposition in this wonderful book i pray you have been helped as i have over these last couple of months let's do this let's um we're going to read verses 3 to 17 it's a it's a larger text today I'm going to ask, as we typically do, for all of us to stand. If it's uh, a long text and you can't stand for that long, for physical reasons, that's fine. But uh, I'm going to ask all of us to stand. Uh, Verses 3 to 17 of Hebrews chapter 12. Congregation, consider him who considered from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. Concerning Hebrews 12, John Piper writes, I want you to hear this, quote, it's not a little feel-good chapter about how to make the best Of your troubles or even about how God makes the best of your troubles it's a massive statement about the gracious sovereignty of God over the evil that befalls his people and the big if is will you believe this will you accept Piper says the mystery of God's providence in the pain of your life and be trained by it, as verse 11 says. Or will you kick against this chapter and demand in the seizing of suffering that God give a greater account of himself than he does in this chapter? End quote. This text will force you, beloved, to draw conclusions regarding God and your affliction. It demands a response from you. What do you believe about suffering? These Christians to whom this letter was written were hard pressed. We've seen this. Not to the point of shedding their blood, verse 4. That is to say, their life wasn't on the line, at least not just yet. But they were suffering nonetheless. Mistreatment, mistreatment, harassment. Uh, This is why some began to unanchor their faith and drift away. Chapter 2. Why some were leaving the faith and committing apostasy. Chapter 6. Some were dull of hearing. Chapter 5. And some were shrinking back, throwing away their confidence. Chapter 10, they were wondering if Jesus is worth it or. If Jesus knows what he's doing. In my suffering. Which is the subject of our exposition today. The discipline of God and the Christians. Holiness. Uh, three principles that we must consider as we encounter affliction. Three principles. Number one, you must consider Jesus so that you press on to the end. You must consider Jesus so that you press on to the end. Uh, verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, the author says. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So, I want you to think of Jesus, the author says. And I want you to think in particular of the hostility he received from sinners. Think about his Humiliation, the author says. There's two states of the work of Christ. His work of humiliation and his work of exaltation, which begins at the resurrection. And the author says you need to consider, you need to think about Christ's humiliation. Which I take to mean, I want you to think about the soldiers laughing and mocking. Think about them hitting and spitting on Jesus. Think about Jesus being called the Prince of Demons. Think about his friends. And his friends leaving him and denying him. Think about his offer of the gospel being snubbed. Can you imagine rejecting the very preaching of Christ? This is what I want you to consider, the author says. I want you to consider the opposition Christ faced in his life. Now, my question is, why does the author want us to think about that? It's not something I often think about. Why? Well, for one, because the same kind of thing is happening to to these Hebrew Christians and you and you need to get strength from Jesus to press on. Uh, Secondly, and more to the author's point, as you can see, the author says, I want you to consider Jesus, and he has this relative clause, and then he has a purpose statement. Consider Jesus so that, it's a purpose statement, boys and girls, you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So, when you consider Christ and his sufferings, I want you to compare that with what you're suffering. That's what the author wants us to do. And the author's point, I think, is if you do that, if you compare your sufferings to Christ, and namely the lack of shedding our blood, you're nowhere near being weary. You're nowhere near giving up or faint-hearted. Your life isn't even on the line yet. John Brown says, quote, the Christian soldier should be thankful when his trials don't require his blood. So don't even think about being faint-hearted, church, because your sufferings don't even compare to the sufferings of Christ. You're not even shedding blood yet. All right. That's the summary so far. I don't know about you, but I have a question still when I read this text. How does considering Jesus? Here's the question I'm re- I wrestled with, not all week, but partial of the week. How does considering Jesus keep us from growing weary or becoming faint-hearted? And the answer we just said was, "Well, because you're nowhere near His sufferings." And I get that. That humbles me. Thank the Lord. And I'm put low. Yes, I'm nowhere near um, the sufferings of Christ. I'm not shedding blood. So I'm, I'm humbled by that. But my further question to asking this text was, is there anything else in considering Jesus that helps me press on? Are you following? And my answer is yes though it's not in this text. Listen to this. When we consider Jesus and his sufferings, his work of humiliation, we are forced to consider all of Jesus, including his work of exaltation His work of resurrection. And when we do that, when we consider Christ as the resurrected King of glory, as the one who died and now is yet alive forevermore, we are not led to spiritual weariness, but rather to spiritual potency. Because in Jesus, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So when you consider Christ and his sufferings, consider the whole Christ, including his work of exaltation. All right. All right. One more comment before I move on. Losing heart happens So let me try to nuance what I just said. The author of Hebrews is writing to Christians who are losing heart, as are many of you, I imagine. But the weariness, the type of weariness the author is guarding us against here is a weariness that leads one to give We all lose heart. That's the Christian life in this world. The kingdom seems so weak. The gospel seems so small. And the devil seems so strong. And so we say with the psalmist often, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? We get that. But the author is saying quitting is not an option. And slowing your pace is not the answer. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we do not lose heart. We do not grow weary, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's why we don't lose heart. Affliction and suffering will come to an end and when they do, you and I will know the weight of glory forever. And so we don't lose heart. The question is, in the meantime, before the weight of glory drops forever for us to enjoy, the question is, will you consider Jesus and all that He is so that you press on to the end. Second, as you consider Christ in this life, you must also remember the exhortation concerning affliction. You must also remember the exhortation concerning affliction. Verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Have you forgotten that? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline, verse seven, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons that God disciplines those he loves. They forgot that. And therefore, as is true with us, they misinterpreted. Their sorrow. They misinterpreted their afflictions, they saw their sufferings as odd. Why is this happening? What they were experiencing in the Christian life, did not add up or line up with what they signed up for. Or so they thought. And so the author reminds them. Don't you love just the straightforwardness? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? The exhortation that addresses you as sons? You must have forgotten. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? Where in the world did you get the idea that cross-bearing was not a part of the Christian life? Where did you get that thought? Who told you that? What have you been reading? Who have you been listening to? You you must have forgot the exhortation because this is the Christian life. And furthermore, where did you get the idea that affliction was not a sign of God's love? Where did you get this? What a ridiculous thought. (laughs) Weren't you told that if you should follow Jesus, you would need to lose your life? Weren't you told that, the author says? And weren't you told that once you followed Christ, He would begin the lifelong work of holiness, weren't you told this? Which involves scrubbing you with the soap. Of affliction. Don't you remember? The exhortation. Cross bearing is not a part of the Christian life, cross bearing Is the Christian life. That's what you signed up for. What have you been reading? And those crosses, he says, don't just come from those against you. They come from he. Who loves you. And I imagine that's the most difficult part of this text. John Piper, again, what adversaries do to you out of sinful hostility? God is doing out of fatherly discipline. John Owen, another John. Whatever befalls us on this side of glory. Is to be looked on as a fruit of divine tenderness and mercy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that whatever befalls you on this side of glory is a fruit of divine tenderness and mercy? Did John Owen get it wrong? Beloved, I know this life is difficult. And I don't mean to be harsh. Let me just put this in Ryan's words. (laughs) This, This life is more than difficult. This life sucks sometimes. Right. There is unspeakable pain. There are things that happen in your life that you can't explain. And there are events that just leave you confused and messed up. <laughs> just messed up. But that's when this text and the majesty of this text and the power of Hebrews 12 must bear down upon you. That God is so full of love for you that everything he brings into your life is intended for you to love him and be like him evermore. That's what this text does. It's like that hymn says. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free. To break thy schemes of earthly joy. That thou mayest find thy all in me. That thou mayest find thy all in me. So are you telling me then that I lost a loved one? Because God was setting me free from myself? Let's get real here. Are you telling me? That I'm not married when I want to be married because God is setting me free from myself. to find my all in Christ. Is that what this text is saying? Are you telling me that I have chronic pain because God is setting me free from myself? Yes. Yes. You need to remember. The exhortation. That addresses you as God's children. That by affliction. God is setting you free. That you might find your all in him. So you need to consider Christ and. You need to remember the exhortation. And third, you need to embrace the aim of affliction. You need to embrace the aim of affliction, uh, your holiness. For they disciplined us, verse 10, for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he who disciplines for us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, and that word seems is all-important discipline and afflictions seems painful. It, it hovers over us, right? But there's a, there's a pleasantness that abides under the cloud of suffering. It seems painful, but joy can be there. Hope can be there. Later yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Strive for peace, verse 14, with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. No one is sexually immoral or unholy. Let me just hit two highlights here and we'll close. Embrace the aim of of your affliction. Two highlights. Number one, holiness is God's aim in affliction. Holiness is God's aim in affliction. Holiness is what God is after in your life. Verse 10, he disciplines us for our good. You see that there that we may share his holiness. So he is not after a better America. He is not after a better life, a better job ease and comfort he is not after the things that we are so after i love these words by sinclair ferguson quote everything else is utterly incidental in my life i was listening to that and i thought i need to stop and listen here everything else ferguson says is utterly incidental in my life he does not care if i make money He does not care if I have a great job and a big house. He does not care if I have a good reputation in the world. How do I know that? Because he didn't care about it in the case of his only begotten son. Because he had a far bigger vision for his son than these toys. And he has a far bigger vision for your life than these toys and these bubbles that will disappear. What your heavenly Father is intent on doing is creating in you what this writer calls holiness. Two, strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 14, strive for holiness. This letter to the Hebrews is a pastoral divorce. All right? It is a pastoral divorce. Perhaps nowhere else in the New Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ set forth on display in a deeper, more beautiful way. That's my opinion. But, here's the big but, the theology of grace in this book is not an abstract exposition of doctrine. No exposition of grace in the entire New Testament is a chunk of theological fact. The apostles' doctrine has the goal or has a pastoral edge to it. That is, you must take everything the author has said about Christ, everything we've talked about, And understand that the goal of that grace is for you to strive for holiness. My friends, is your faith. A biblical and saving faith. A faith that loves and pursues holiness. Is your holiness fueled with thankfulness, love and divine mercy. Is your holiness an all-around holiness? Or is your holiness partial and selective? Let me conclude with this. I came across a prayer this week that I am scared to death to pray. You ever do that? Reading stuff and you think, I need to pray that, but I'm scared to pray that. I know I need to, and I know you need to. Lord. Whatever it takes. Discipline me. If what you say is true. That affliction is a sign of your love. And you're setting me free from myself so I can I can have my all in Jesus. Lord. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Discipline me. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we give you thanks for the word of the gospel today. That Christ is our all and you are committed to making him our all. But I pray that this congregation might see you as high and exalted, but also near to those afflicted. You are so good to us in Christ, so good to us in Christ. And Lord, we do pray. Because at the end of days, Lord, what we want to be. Is like Christ. Is like Christ. Exalt yourself in our lives. Amen.